Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. While you're turning there, um, is Mackenzie here? I don't see Mackenzie. Oh, I wanted to thank her for the bulletin cover. You're watching, Mackenzie. Thank you. This is beautiful. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be reading. Um, going to be reading verses one through thirteen. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me it by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Christ. Therefore I ask you, do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Let's pray together. Oh, Father in heaven, please give us grace this morning. Give us power, a power that we don't have. Give us a power to rise above right now our distractions, to rise above our responsibilities, to rise above the things that have crowded into our minds and souls this week of life here on this earth. Give us power to rise above all of those things and to see great things, to see you, to see your glory, to view some of the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. And Father, transform us and change us from this vision. Enlighten us, we pray. Strengthen us, we pray. Give us grace and joy. Help us to realize the great and wonderful things that you have done so that all of the distractions and all of the the struggles and the difficulties that we are facing right now will be overwhelmed by the greatness of what you have done for us in Christ. Bless and be with us now, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. As I just prayed, you know, it takes a lot of time and energy to just live life on this earth. Like, we all have to eat. And so if we have to eat, then we all need jobs or an income to bring in money so that we can eat. But then somebody has to go grocery shopping, and then somebody has to cook the food, and somebody has to clean up afterward, and we, have, we just have so much to do just to, to keep life going. Somebody has to clean the bathrooms, or somebody has to make sure that the, that the, that the garbage is taken out. Somebody has to has to do us, and we just have all this stuff. We have, then we have houses that we need to maintain, and then we have cars that we need to maintain, and then we have bodies that we need to maintain. And it all just becomes so much, so much, that sometimes life, because of its busyness, because of that coming at us so much, we lose the big picture. We lose the important things. And Jesus was very concerned about this. Jesus, when he came from heaven, to earth and lived among us, Jesus would say things like this. He would say, what does it avail a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? See, by doing that, Jesus is trying to get us to get, get beyond the mundane and start thinking about big things. Or Jesus one time told the story when somebody came up and 
wanted him to arbitrate with them about the family will. And Jesus says, beware of covetousness. Then he told a story of a guy who just made his whole life all about building, buying, or, or planting, planting, bigger crops, bigger crops, and then bigger barns, bigger barns, bigger barns. And as soon as he achieved his greatest human vision, he died that night. And Jesus said, you fool. God says to him, you fool. You're rich in the things of this world, but you're not rich in the things of God. And you see, he allowed the give and take, the buying and selling to take over. And then, of course, a couple weeks ago, we looked at Mary and Martha. And Jesus said to Martha, you're, you're so busy about many things. And then Jesus said, there's one thing needful. And Mary has chosen the one thing needful. You see, dear friends, we are under the risk because so much just comes at us. and We're under the risk of just thinking that this world is all there is. And then we live in a secular culture, and those poor people, the poor secularists, this is all they have. And so they only focus on this, the here and now. And you know what that tends to do? That tends to cause us to have banal lives. Now, banal is a word you probably didn't use this week, and I get that, okay? But uh, it actually is an important word that... To, that I think describes the situation that they're in. In fact, we're going to put the definition up here, banal. Um, for, for kids, it's an adjective. Uh, you probably needed to know that. And so, but look at, the, look at the definition. Drearily commonplace and often predictable. Tripe. Commonplace, trivial, hackneyed, trite. Three, common in a boring way to the point of being predictable containing nothing new or fresh. And sometimes it feels like this world is just so banal. It just feels like it's banal. And, I, and again, I'm, I'm convinced that because secularism has taken all the big thoughts away, God, the purpose of life, the meaning of life, and we're just materialists now, we're secular, everything has become banal. Our music has become banal, to be honest with you. Our art has definitely become banal. You go into a modern art museum, and you know what you're going to see? Besides what children could do in kindergarten, hanging on the wall, what you're going to see is nobody. Art is art is just died. Mu movies are banal now. People don't even people don't even watch movies anymore. They're banal anymore. Everything in life has become like this, and we've stopped asking the big questions. Well, we're in a passage today, and we're actually in a book because the book of Ephesians is the book of the big picture. It gives us the big picture. It's supposed to energize us by the big picture. We're in a book, we're in a passage today too, where Paul is going to be looking at the big picture. And he wants you to see, he's going to be looking at the big questions, the big plan, the big blueprint is what he's going to show us. It's almost as if we are going to see the blueprint of God. And that, in fact, is one of the main words that we're going to tie in today. And unfortunately for us, and, and for those of us who have a New King James with us, um, this word has been dreadfully translated in the New King James. But there's a, there's a Greek word. I'll just throw out the Greek word, but you don't need to know it, except it's oikonomeo, where we get our word economy eventually. But oikonomeo meant two things. It kind of was tied together, two things in Greek. Uh, the oikonomeo meant either the plan, the, the, the commands of, of, say, of what is supposed to be done by a master, and then it also meant the foreman or the person who was supposed to make it happen. So I want you to think of a blueprint. I want you to think of a blueprint of, of, of a skyscraper. Or uh, could you imagine what that would look like, floor after floor after floor? Or the blueprint of a nuclear reactor or the blueprint of a, of a rocket that is going to go to space. That, that would be, that would be the, the, the word that Paul's going to use here. And what Paul is going to do is give us the blueprint of God. He's going to help us to see the blueprint here. And then Paul's going to talk about, uh, you know, you, you have a blueprint, you're going to build a skyscraper, then you need a project manager to make that happen or to explain to people what's going on. And Paul's going to say that's the apostle's role in that. But he, this is going to be the big picture is what he's going to do. And we're going to focus in that big picture because there's so much in Ephesians 3. We're going to focus on verse 8 where he talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. So let's look, let's look at the big plan uh, how Paul opens it up, and then we're going to look uh, at the unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul, in the book of Ephesians, has been talking about this mystery. And by remember I told you that when Paul talks about mystery, he doesn't talk about something that we can't uh, 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 figure out or comprehend so much as it's, it's something that God has determined and has been hidden by God, but now has been made known. 
and it's his will. Look in Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to be sort of summarizing these three chapters. But uh, notice, notice what Paul says in chapter 1, verse 9. He says, having made known to us the mystery of his will, that's the blueprint, as it were, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Now, look at this mystery. This mystery is God's will, is what God is working out. It's according to his good pleasure. God is delighting this. This, this is a good idea from God. God. God finds pleasure in this. And this is something that God purposed. It's God's predetermined plan. And notice he purposed it in himself. He took counsel from no one else. He didn't read books on how to do this. He didn't watch YouTube videos. God took this in himself and such. Now, this is what Paul is going to talk about, this, this plan, which is his will, his good pleasure, which he purposed himself. And Paul already started this because he went back into eternity past before time began, remember? Like, look at verse 4 of chapter 1. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And then look at verse 5, having predestined us to adoption according to the good pleasure of his will. So he's opening up this plan. He's opening up these blueprints for us to see. Now, he starts focusing back again on that in chapter 3, which is the chapter where we're at. And notice how he says, he says this. He says in verse 1, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of, of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, and here now he has a digression for 13 verses, he gets back to the digression, back from the digression of verse 14. Notice he says, for this reason I bow. So we're in this digression. But he says this, if indeed you have heard, verse 2, of the dispensation, there's oikonomeo. Now here the focus is on the foreman or the project manager. If you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, I've been given this responsibility, this stewardship, to make known the will, uh, the, the plan of God. Verse 3. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. And so, and he says, as I have written briefly already, by which when you read, you will understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now look at verse 5. That in the other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed. So the mystery has been revealed. The blueprints have been opened for us to see of God's purpose and big plan by the spirit of, uh, to his holy apostles and prophets. Now drop down to verse 9. He says this, and to make all see what is the, and here the, the, the New King James has fellowship. That's really this, it should be the word oikonomeo. It, at this point, the, the better thing would be plan here or blueprints if you want to follow my illustration. And to make all to see what is the plan of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. The blueprint is being opened. This wise, amazing blueprint is being opened and may be known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly place according to the eternal purpose. There's that idea of the eternal plan which he accomplishes in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is a masterful plan. There is a masterful, huge plan that God is working out. And that plan includes, number one, creation. God creates this world. He creates this amazing, beautiful, complex, glorious world, universe, stars, galaxies, earth, planet earth, with all of its seas and mountains and animals and man in his image. God does this to display his glory, to display his wisdom, to display his power, to display his majesty. And he's made it so beautiful and so intricate and so glorious. And it's, it's all a display of his glory. But then, in this plan, God allows it to fall. He allows it to fall, and soon after the creation, all of a sudden, Satan comes out of, seems like out of nowhere, this evil presence comes in, and this fall happens. And, and that was all part of God's plan. God allowed that to happen. Why? Because through redemption and restoration, God is going to display something that can only be displayed in that context. God is going to display his grace. God is going to display unmerited love. God is going to display his mercy. God is going to display his kindness. He's going to display his wisdom. He's going to display his justice. He's going to display all of that through, through, through this great plan. And the center focus of this plan 
is Christ. He is the center focus of the plan. And we've already seen that already. For instance, look at chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, here Jesus front and center, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So as this plan is, was planned and as it's unfolding, its, its center focus is Christ. And remember, we went through verses 1 through 14 in chapter 1. In him, in him, in Christ, in Christ, in him, in him. Now look at chapter, and this, this whole thing that begins before time began in Christ. Then look at chapter 2 and verse 7. That in the ages to come, here now he's looking at eternity future, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It began in Christ. It ends in Christ. It's all about this beautiful, wonderful thing that he's doing in Christ. Look at chapter 3 and verse 4. He says this, By which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. The blueprint, the plan, that which was God's good pleasure was all about, was all found in Christ. Look at chapter, uh, verse 6 of that same chapter. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. And then, of course, verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Look at that phrase, the unsearchable riches of Christ. The word there, unsearchable, Paul uses twice in the New Testament. He uses it here, and he uses it at the end of Romans 11, where he talks about that the ways of God, the wisdom of God is unsearchable. And the word means you can't trace it out. You can't track it. You can't follow it. That's what the word means. It's unsearchable. It, it, it suddenly, it, it, it goes beyond comprehension very quickly. It, it explodes, and, and you're saying, I can't track with you. I, I can't track with you. Now, now you, might, you might have experienced this with things. I experienced this often. Here, Henry's sitting right here. If Henry starts to try to explain to me what's going wrong with my car, I get to the point where it goes, it's sputtering, okay? Then he starts technical, and I'm like, Henry, you lost me. Just please fix it. You just lost me, okay? That I can't track it. I can't follow what he's saying. I can't put the piece together. Somebody tries to explain my computer to me, and it's like, you know, you might as well just stop because I, I can't track with you anymore. I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even know what this means. And that's what Paul is saying. But Paul is not saying we can't track with it because it's a mystery that God is making known. What he's just saying is that there's this vastness. This, this, did, did you ever get overwhelmed by something? Jan will send me to the store, and I don't go to the store, okay? I don't, I, don't, I don't go to the store. I don't shop. I don't even like to buy stuff. But Jan will send me to the store, and she'll say, pick up something. And I'm like, I'm standing there in front of And I don't care what it is. Pizza sauce. You know, it, it, it could just be cheese or pasta and it's like all of a sudden boom, there's like all these choices and all of a sudden and I'm like I usually grab some lady and say hey man which would you buy that one okay great let's go you know and it's just like it's overwhelming and that's what Paul is getting at notice what he's talking about the over unsearchable riches of Christ how do we envision that how do we capture that think of it this way imagine you were standing you're standing out, outside, and before you, four foot high, before you were all of these riches, diamonds and rubies and opals and, and jaspers and, and, and sapphires and gold pieces and silver pieces and pearls and necklaces and, and, and earrings and 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 brooches, and it was four foot high. And each one of you that they that you picked was just overwhelmingly beautiful. And then you looked up, and it went as far as you could see, and as far as you could see this way. And yet each one is gorgeous. You'd be overwhelmed, overwhelmed. That's what it's like, by the way, to to actually study the Book of Ephesians. 
Kids, I thought about you guys this week. I thought about you as kids this week. Here's how I thought about you. I was sitting there studying the book of, of, of Ephesians, and I was just overwhelmed. I was just like, it just, all of the glory of this book just came out. And just I, I felt crushed by it, overwhelmed. Do you, do you, kids, you know what an avalanche is? It's, it's when you're out there skiing or something, and all of a sudden you hear this rumble, and this big, huge mountain of snow comes and buries you under like 40 feet of snow, buries you. Well, that's scary. That would be intimidating. Whoa, I feel, feel overwhelmed. And I was thinking, but, you know, Ephesians doesn't feel like that in, uh, completely. Ephesians feels like this. Now, catch this, kids. Track with me on this one. Imagine an avalanche falling on you, overwhelming you. <gasps> You're buried. But it's candy cane. I mean, sorry, it's, it's cotton candy. Like, I've just been buried. What do you do at that point? Well, you go, help, help, help. Uh, help? Uh, wait a minute. Mm. <laughs> Strawberry, help to get some time. Ooh, blue. Ooh, blueberry. Oh, mm, wow. This is good. Hey, help, I'm buried under here. Oh, my, look at that. That's what Ephesians feels like. It feels like it's overwhelming, but it's so beautiful. And that's what's being said here. The unsearchable riches of Christ. He is the center of the planet. So let's just, let's just pick up some of these diamonds and look at them. And allow the light to shine through them. Let's pick up a ruby over here and look at it. And allow the light to shine through it and admire it. And let's pick up a string of pearls here and admire it. That's, that, let's just do that for a few minutes here. The unsearchable riches of Christ. What does the Bible teach about? It begins in eternity past, before time even began. And it, we're told in the book of John, in the beginning, way before time even began, in the beginning was already existing, standing there, the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And there he is, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Logos, the Word, and he's with God, and he was God. And all things were created through him. That's why when the Bible says, and God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be planets. And God said, let there be a sun. And God said, let there be a moon. God said, let there be a sea full. Why did God have to say it? He's God. He could just think it. He could just make it happen instantly. He doesn't even have to take six days to make it happen. He could just make it happen at once. Why does he say? Why does he speak? That's the word. That's the logos. Because he, he created all things through his son. And so all of a sudden, this one is, is, is revealed to us who is God and yet who is the son of God, who is one with God and who is God. And, and, and everything that the father does, he does with the son. He creates everything with the son. We have a great summary of this, one of my favorites in Hebrews chapter one, where it says this. Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Remember that phrase, by the way. We're going to come back to that. Through whom also he made the worlds. So there he is. Through his son he made all of the worlds. Who, the son, being the brightness of his glory. What is that? That's the beam that shines out of the sun. The S-U-N, the sun, the sun up there as, as, it, as it exists is constantly sending forth these powerful, powerful beams of light that are shining out. And that beam, that beam is one with the sun. And Jesus is the beam that shines out from the Father, constantly, eternally shining out from the Father. He is eternally the Son of God. And then he says this, who being the brightness of his glory, and notice the next one, the express image of his person, the exact representation of who he is, like father, like son, the same caricature, character, that's what the word is in Greek, and upholding all things by the word of his power, this is his son, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty of his throne on high. Look at how many of the riches of Christ are in those three verses right there. Look at how many diamonds and rubies and sapphires are just in that, those three verses right there. The Lord Jesus Christ is God. He is God. And all things are created through him. Paul actually says this in our passage. Look at Ephesians 3.9. Look at the end of the verse. God who created all things through Jesus Christ. God who created all things through his son. 
And then the Bible teaches us that that person, the glorious word, that God the Son, came down to earth and lived among us. He came down to earth and he joined our race. He became one of us. He literally became a man and became and joined our race. He, he, he took on a body. He took on a human soul. He took on a human mind. He had all of the human emotions that we had. And guess what? Life came at him. He had to eat. He had to prepare food. He had to sleep. He had to drink water to stay hydrated. He was out there working and building and he would sweat. He would get tired. He became subject to all of our fears, subject to all of our frustrations, subject to our angers, subject to those things. And yet he was all completely sinless. He lived for 30 some years like that. And for the first 30 years, he lived a normal life, a normal, quiet life. He got up in the morning. He did what he needed to do. He did his job. He took care of it. He took care. He lived a very quiet life. In fact, to the point that he started, you know, teaching as a rabbi. They said, this is Jesus. He's, he's the builder. You know, he was basically, to them, a general contractor. The, the, the word is, it actually doesn't say he was a carpenter. It says he was a, a it's, it's techne, it's techne. It, it, it means a builder. He was a builder. Jesus was a general contractor. He was a general contractor. That's all he was. That's what they said. That's what they knew him to be. And yet, he was the very son of God who took us on. He took on a fallen, sinful, condemned race of Adam. He joined a condemned race. You see, dear friends, if there was a people, and for some reason a warlord or somebody said, I'm going to destroy that entire village of people. Or, they said, or, 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 or you were in the military and they said, we're going to bomb that entire village because there's so many of the enemy there. We're going to bomb the whole thing, like Hiroshima. Hiroshima was a condemned city. Would you have gone to Hiroshima? Would you have gone to join the citizens of Hiroshima, lock arms with them while the nuclear bomb fought? No. But Jesus did that. He came to the fallen, condemned race of Adam because he loved us. He loved us. He created us. He loved us. And he came and he became one of us and he died for us. He died as a sacrifice for our sins. He died. He took our guilt upon himself. He was guiltless. He died taking our sin and owning it as his own. He died. He went through the experience of death for us. He didn't have to. But he did. He was driven by love. And I think I can never get beyond the thrill, I think, of the Apostle Paul when he says this in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, and this is the phrase, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. I don't think Paul ever got over that. The very son of God gave his life for me. Died for me. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he died upon the cross, because of the magnitude of the dignity of who he was as the very son of God, when he died on the cross, not only were our sins laid upon him and our sins punished and our sins condemned, and in a mysterious, a mystery, a wonder, he came under the wrath of the Father and took the wrath for all of our sins, and for not our sins, but a vast multitude that no man can number, all of that fell upon him, and he was crushed and tormented and tortured by it, and he went to death. But something else happened there besides the guilt of our sin. It broke the power of sin. It broke the power of death. It broke the power of Satan. And this is what he did. He came to end all of that. In 1 John 3, 8, it says this, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. 
In John chapter 12, Jesus, on, uh, on just the eve of his, of his crucifixion, he, wrote, he said this, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And then in Colossians 2, it talks about how on the cross, Jesus took away all of the power of the principalities and powers. In Colossians 2, 14, it says, Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he had taken out of the way, nailing it to the cross. There's one thing that the cross took away, and that is our guilt. But then he says this, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Look, Jesus hanging on the cross is disarming the principalities and powers, and he's triumphing over them. Jesus Christ, when he died upon the cross, broke the power of sin, broke the curse, broke the judgment upon Adam, broke this, and freed us as a people. And then, to be evident of that, he rises again from the dead. This is the blueprint. This is the plan. He rises again from the grave. He's alive. He has defeated death. And then, there's even more. He's raised to the highest level of position far above all principality and power. Look at chapter 1 and verse 20. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Do we grasp that? Do we grasp that? I don't think we do. So let me try to help us. Jesus of Nazareth. General contractor is now head of every authority, power, dominion, and Lord of all of heaven and earth. Think about that. We've got some general contractors in here. We've got some general contractors in here. I asked Gary if I could use his name. Gary Vicinski is one of them. Now imagine, imagine. If God were to take Gary Wisniewski, our Gary Wisniewski, and put him in the position of absolute supreme power over every angel, every archangel, every demon, Satan himself, all of the rulers on heaven and on earth. Our Gary Wisniewski, just like tomorrow, is put to that position. We'd be like, whoa, wow. And when the Bible says that Jesus of Nazareth, who took on human flesh, is now there at the right end, far above, far above all the archangels, far above the legions and armies of heaven, far above the archdemons and, and the legions and armies of hell, far, far above them in absolute sovereign control of all things. Imagine that. Now, if it was Gary, you know what would be another really cool thing? He's our friend. That would be cool, right? Oh, by the way, one of my good friends is head of the entire universe. God has placed him in that position. And that's what is being said here. He has, he has placed him in that position. He has made him head over all of those things for his glory. He has made him that. And he is now reigning. That's why Jesus was able to say, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he tells his disciples, go, go make disciples, go tell them, go tell the world, let the world know. And this is what Paul is saying. I understand the stewardship. We apostles are helping you to see the church is based on this foundation and this witness and this mystery that has been made known to us. And now go, go into every nation, go to Jew, go to Gentile, go everywhere and tell them, invite them, invite them to come in. I'm building my kingdom. Invite them to come into my kingdom. And then the Bible teaches us that he's sending out his spirit. He's calling in his people and he's doing this great work. And then one day he will come again. Jesus Christ will come again. And he will come again to judge. He will come again to banish. But he will come again to restore. And here I want you to look at chapter 1 again, verses 9 and 10. Because Paul, had, Paul in chapter 3, he alludes to this. I talked to, the, to you about this earlier. But I want you to notice what he's going to do. Jesus is going to do. He's going to restore all things. This is the plan. So again, as you turn to chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, say you had to turn your page over, think of yourself turning a leaf in the, in the, in the, in the blueprint here. 
God is going to show you the blueprint. And look at verse 9. Having made known to us, here we go, the mystery of his will, that's the blueprint, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the, and here the plan, there's our word, it would be best translated the plan, that in the plan, in the blueprint of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things, Take each word now, that he might gather together, and the word means to put under one head, to summarize and put under one head, that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, and in order to really nail this, in him, in him. God's glorious plan is that all things... All things would be restored and brought under the headship of Christ. This whole fallen, broken, distorted, death-filled, Satan-filled, lie-filled world is going to be fixed, cleaned up, made right, made restored, renewed again, all under Christ. That's the blueprint. That's the plan. Think about that, dear friends. No more death. No more death. Death will be gone. Can you imagine? Try to picture in your head right now what it will be like in the new heavens and the new earth. Christ has come. He's restored all things. All things have been put under Christ. No more death. We never think about death. We even forget about death, perhaps. Death doesn't factor in at all. There's no fear of death ever again. No fear of death ever again. Think about that. Picture that. No sorrow from people that we love dying. Never again. No sudden deaths, no tragic deaths, no violent deaths, no war, no murder, no accidents, no disease, no pain, no, no, no terminal illnesses. Death is gone. That's the plan, defeated by Christ. Power of it broken on the cross, defeated through the resurrection, all in Christ Jesus, the Son of God who became man. That was the glorious, wise, manifold wisdom of God in his plan. Satan is gone. He's been cast into the lake of never asking fire. All the demons have been cast in the lake. Read the book of Revelation. All those humans who stood in rebellion against God and refused to give up that rebellion, no matter what, cast into the lake. They're gone. They're out. They're gone. We never see them again. They're gone. What is left is what is glorious. There's no sin. Christ came to take away sin. Nobody fights anymore. No disagreements. No arguments. No screaming at each other, no malice, no hatred, no slanders, no gossip, no lies, no abuse, no neglect, no meanness, no immorality, no brokenness, no betrayal, no injustice. That's all gone. It's all been made one and new under the headship of Christ. That's the blueprint. That's what God's doing. It will all be goodness. It will all be holiness. It will be an entire world and universe of goodness and holiness and love. It will be a world of love, a universe of love and joy. We will just know joy every day. We'll be no joy. We'll be filled with joy. And there will be peace and harmony and oneness. Peace in the world. The lion will lie down with the lamb. All nations will be together and united in one. All peoples will be united in Christ. And we will be at peace with God and united with God and fellowshipping with God in one glorious, peaceful, harmonic oneness. Oneness. All things made one in Christ Jesus. That's the plan. All will be just. All will be good. All will be clean. All will be pure. All will be beautiful. Isn't that great? I'm not at the best yet. Here's the best. Back to the blueprint. Here's the blueprint. The blueprint is there. It's all laid out. And guess what? Guess what, dear ones? You are written into the blueprint. 
You are in the blueprint. You are there. If an architect is making a blueprint and he needs sinks or he needs a furnace or he needs, or he needs hot water tanks in every one of these apartments, he writes them in. He writes them in, and then the foreman looks at the blueprint, and he sees, oh, we need a hot water tank right there. Oh, we need a sink over there. It's written in. In the blueprint, you are written into the blueprint, dear Christian. You are written in. Look at chapter 1 and verse 3, and this is Paul's whole point. This is Paul's whole point. We have been written into the blueprint. Look at chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heaven and places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You were written, we were written into the blueprint. Look at verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption, we have been written into the blueprint. Look at verse 11. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to, here's the blueprint, the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That's the blueprint. And look, we have been written in as heirs into the blueprint. Look at verse 18. That the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. We have an inheritance. It's written in the blueprint. Look at chapter 2 and verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We have been written in the blueprint that we would be saved. Verse 6. And raised us up together with him and made to sit together with him in Christ Jesus. You were written in the blueprint. Look at chapter 2 and verse 18. For through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit to the Father. We were written into the blueprint. Look at chapter 3 and verse 6. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ. We Gentiles have been written into the blueprint. Look at verses 11 and 12. According to the eternal purpose of him who accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. We have been written in the blueprint. We have been written in the blueprint. We are there. We are in. And dear friends, this meal right here is also proof positive. This meal looks back to the past. Remember his blood. Remember his death. Remember what he has done. But it also looks to the future. I will eat of this. I will not eat of this again until I eat it with you in the kingdom. This is, this is part of the plan. This is part of the remind us of the plan. So let's apply this to ourselves. Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians for a purpose. The Holy Spirit wrote this letter to us. Okay? And what is the purpose? One of the purposes of this letter is to profoundly impact us. And to profoundly impact our outlook on life. To, to fill us with joy, to fill us with a positive outlook on life, on the future, on what God has done, to amaze us and to have that joy and that amazement and that grace and that peace to so flood us, so pour through us that it impacts every single minute of every single day of our lives. We're to be filled with joy. We're to rise above our circumstances. We're to be this. I know what some of you are thinking. Todd, that's hard, man. Todd, if you only knew my worries. My life's hard, Todd. I've got worries. I've got responsibilities that just weigh me down. Where's this joy? I can barely make it through the day. Todd, I've got money woes. Todd, I've got, I got problems at the office. Todd, I've got relationship woes. You know, I can't do this. Todd, you're setting a standard too high. It's unreasonable. Now, let me just give you a kind and loving pastoral admonition. You ready? If you have a pen, you may want to write this down. Baloney. Baloney. Absolute baloney. And now I'm not just saying that to you. I'm saying that to me too. And I'll tell you, I said it to me this week. I'll tell you why. I woke up this morning. I woke up one day, uh, one day this week 
And I wasn't feeling good, and I was feeling all old and creaky and cranky, and the weight of this church, the weight of these all your souls was resting upon me. Uh, my wife wasn't feeling very good. Um, there was all kinds of burdens on me, and I was, I was feeling sorry for myself. Quite frankly, I was feeling sorry for myself. Now, in the morning, I have to do these stretching exercises so that his body will even move, and I usually am listening to sermons. I'm listening to Ted Donnelly preach on this sermon, and Ted Donnelly said this. He said the Apostle Paul did not have one atom of self-pity in him. And all of a sudden, I was just like, I had more, more, more on me now, and that was conviction of sin. You see, dear friends, look at the, verse, look at the chapter. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you. Paul is in prison, and he's writing this letter. Paul is actually chained to a Roman soldier. He's chained to a Roman soldier. Every four hours, the Roman soldier was, chained, was, was, was traded out. And Paul, for 24 hours a day, was chained to a Roman soldier. A Roman soldier, by the way, who hated Jews, no doubt. A Roman soldier who had no interest in him as a Christian. A Roman soldier who didn't like his job. He wanted to be out there fighting battles and getting glory. And he's chained to some, some troublemaking Jewish guy. How do you live your life chained to another human being? How do you sleep? How do you get, 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 get through the day? How do you use the bathroom? How do you live any kind of normal life? And how do you do it if that goes on for years? And how do you do it knowing that you are actually up for a court date and that court date may lead to your execution? How do you live like that? And the man who lived like that was writing letters, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and he was writing things like this. Rejoice always, and again I say rejoice. Give thanks in all circumstances. Be anxious for nothing, and every time he writes this down, the chains are rattling. The chains are rattling. And then he digresses when he's writing the book of Ephesians, and he writes to the Ephesians this incredible digression about this, about this plan of God, about this blueprint, about what God is doing. And then notice what he says in verse 13. Therefore, I ask you, do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. He's comforting them. They're free people. And this is why Ted Donnelly says, there's not an ounce of self-pity in this man. Dear friends, why? Why is Paul like this when he's chained to guys? Just quit it. Quit rolling, you know, rolls over in bed and get out of here, stupid Jew. His, 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 his hand bleeding and callous from the, Why is this man, how can he rise above these things? How can he rise above this? How can he be filled with joy? How can he be filled with confidence? How can he cast all his anxieties upon God? How can he rejoice in all circumstances? Give thanks in all How? He imbibed the big plan. He imbibed what God has done for him in Christ. He dwelled and gloried in the riches of Christ. He was overwhelmed that he was even included. Look at verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace has been given. He was so excited. He believed it. He believed it. And he wasn't going to be drugged down. He wasn't going to be. He rose above banal. He rose above his circumstances. He rose above the preoccupation of life. And I'm just telling all of us, dear friends, don't let these things drag you down. Don't become so preoccupied with the busyness of this life that you forget the big picture, you forget the glory, you forget who you are, you forget what God has given you, what God has done for you, how God has poured out the riches of Christ upon you, how God has given you Christ, how God has forgiven you, how God has already written you into his, into his, into his plan, and, and, and you're there, and you're set, and you're established. As Paul said, as, as Frank had us read today from Peter, Peter says, you have a salvation that is set for you, is ready and is prepared, preserved for you in heaven, and you're being kept by the power of God. All of these things are our blessings and we need to believe them and we need to grab them with both hands and we need not let them go and we need to say that they're true. They're true. They're mine. This is true about me. This is who I am until that flows through you. I was reading Samuel Rethford this morning and he said this beautiful line. He said, I hope to overhope and overbelieve my troubles. I hope to overhope and overbelieve my troubles. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. That's exactly what Paul is doing here. Dear ones, 
Believe. Believe what the Bible says is true about you. Believe it until it, 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 it starts a fire in your soul. Believe it until, uh, change the imagery, a flood of joy comes in. Believe it until you walk a life of peace and a life of joy. Believe it. It's all yours. It's all there. Just believe it. And then I would say this, wall out. Wall out. Kick out and build a wall. Wall out anything that drags you back down, drags you into the bane. Wall it out. If it's people, just bummers who just drag you down. If it's podcasts, it could be the news, or it could be your own thoughts, your own depressing thoughts, your own self-pity thoughts, your own thoughts that you've allowed to dwell in your brain for way too long. Get it out. Get it out. So that these great truths of God become yours, and you understand and know and believe them. So that even if they chain your hand, you're going to write, rejoice always. Be anxious for nothing. Oh, may God give you grace. May you find in Christ Jesus all of these riches. If you don't know him, come to him. Come to him. He will give you these riches. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you and we praise you for what we have in you. We're sorry that we live in such shallows all the time. We're sorry that we live such banal lives. We're sorry that we lose heart so easily and so quickly. We're sorry that we get so distracted and mesmerized. When we have your son, we are in Christ. The son of God died for us. Oh, dear God, please fill us with your spirit. Give us grace. Help us to know what we have in you. Help us to be people of joy who rejoice always. Give us grace, we pray. In your precious name.